What is up, everyone, and welcome to Podcast with Pack. I'm your host, Pastor Ashley Karayuki, and this is a podcast packed with real conversation, a life-changing message, and a time of refreshing. Thanks for tuning in. Be blessed by today's episode. Bibles, notebooks, and pens this morning. Who's ready for the Word of God? Amen. Who's ready for the Word of God? So Sundays we are in this series, Brace for Impact. And I want us to talk today, Brace for Impact, Saved to Serve. Saved to Serve. Bibles, notebook, notebook, and pens allow the Spirit of the Lord to minister to you today. One of the most wonderful things about our salvation is grace. And I'm not talking about that hyper grace, unbalanced grace that's being taught in many pulpits around the world. Grace is simply the ability to maintain the standard that God has set. God will grace you that aids you in maintaining what he has said. And that is beautiful. Grace is the beautiful thing about our salvation. The gospel is not given to us and at work in us because we did anything to make it happen in our lives. In other words, there is nothing you can do or I can do to save my own soul or to save your own soul. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other name for there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. Jesus the Christ, his anointing, the anointed one. The difference between our salvation, our faith, and theirs, other religions, is our service proceeds our faith, not precedes our faith. Write that down. Our service proceeds, in other words, comes after our faith, not precedes our faith coming before. Our faith, what sets the standard, draws the line, what is the difference, is that our faith, once we are saved, service follows. It is not before. So I serve because I am saved not to get saved. And this is something that's not taught in the modern church as much as it should be because so many people think their good works is what's going to get them good with God. But your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your righteousness, what you do apart from God is nothing. What you do apart from the Lord is nothing. What you do without God is nothing. Your faith, your service must 
proceed after I am saved, not before, because if it's before, you'll think that you saved yourself. <laughs> Our righteousness is but filthy rags. It is by grace you have been saved, lest any man should boast. In other words, you can't walk around with a big enough badge to say, I did enough, I said enough, I, I went enough, I talked enough, I, I did this enough. You can't, you, there's nothing you can do. You can't boast. Put your boast back away. Put your boast back in the bag. There's nothing you can say to say, I saved myself. Because if you could, you would have been saved way earlier <laughs> than you were. Anybody can attest to that. Your salvation is a supernatural work of our God through his son Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And no man can boast that they did enough, that they said enough, that they was enough to bring it to pass. Only Jesus. And so we are bracing for impact, saved to serve. We said when we first started this, this series, about a month ago, we first started this series, we began to hash through our vision statement and we begin to pick it apart, line upon line, precept upon precept. And that is what we're going to be doing throughout this series of Brace for Impact. And I said on Wednesday that this is going to teach you who we are and why we do what we do. This is for you to understand our code. Somebody say code. We have a vision, but there are things that we have pulled out of that vision statement that says this is our pulse. This is our heartbeat. These are things that God has specifically placed upon this house, and this is what we believe, and this is what we stand as, and this is what we shall do. We begin to pick apart our vision statement. And the first place you come to when the vision statement first begins, it says Eternal Life Harvest Center is a ministry. Pause. Ministry. Somebody say ministry. Ministry is a term that centers around the acts of service to others. Others being people or our Lord Most High, or and, not or, and our Lord Most High. That tells you that the Harvest Center and those who are attending this great house and connected to this great house are in the service business. Because we are a ministry. I'm not here for an accolade, I'm here to minister. I'm not here for your applause. I'm here to minister. I'm not, I'm not here for you to say pat on the back and to, and to rub my... No, no, no. I'm here to minister. And when you begin to see where you are connected to as a ministry, you will realize I am saved to serve. Not for a check. Not for a hand clap. Not, no, I am here to Sir, God give us ministers. Minister is not a title. Minister is a responsibility. You're looking for a title, call me minister, but are you handling your responsibility? I'm not going to call you a minister and you're not ministering. Are you handling your responsibility? Are you actually busy serving? 
It's fun. We're in the service business. Somebody say service business. Service to man and service to the Lord. We're not looking to please man. We're looking to please God. And so our first code was we serve, period. If you haven't written that down, get that. That's one of our eight code points. We serve, period. Let's say it together. One, two, three. We serve, period. Let's do it again. If some people weren't with us. Let's do it again. One, two, three. We serve, period. We are looking for opportunities for God to do something through us for another that shows forth his glory in the earth. If you're still here, you're living, you're breathing, you're walking, you're talking, you're, you're a part of this world, you are alive, you are still here to show forth God's glory in the earth and nothing else. If it's your gift, it's supposed to show forth God's glory in the earth. If it's your talent, it's supposed to point people to Jesus. If it's whatever it is, it's supposed to point people to Jesus. That's why he says, whatever you find your hands to do, do it as unto the Lord. He's not saying you're doing me a favor. What he's saying is you're doing it pointing people to Jesus. If it's vacuuming, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. If it's serving in our children, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. If it's on a camera, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. If I'm up here singing, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. If I'm playing an instrument, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. My question is, who are you doing it as unto? Have you lost your, your audience? Have you forgot your focus? Are you doing it for a check? Because if you are, you received your reward. Are you doing it because your heart burns for it? Are you doing it because when you think about it, Oh, I get to go to here and I get to go to there. I get to be in reach week. I get to go set up the stage. I get to go, I get to go do this and that. Is your heart burning to say, God, service unto you. I want to minister to the Lord. You're sitting here thinking you can't minister to the Lord. To minister to the Lord is to serve the Lord. We're going somewhere and we're going to go quick. Whatever you find your hands to do. Whatever, do it as unto the Lord, pointing people to Jesus. We're not looking to please man, we're looking to please God. And so we look for opportunities for God to do something through us. Somebody say, through me. God doesn't want to do something just to you, he wants to do something through you. Amen. And so this is what I want you to understand and I want you to write these down. We are happy to serve. That means when the people see you in whatever ministry capacity you are doing in this house or wherever you're serving, they see a smile. Let's look at somebody and show them all 22, 32, 12, 5, I don't know. We are happy to serve. Our attitude 
It's good. You don't walk in the room and they're like, oh, they here. No. They're happy to see you because you're happy to serve. You have a zeal. The enemy used to try to condemn me of how animated I was. I can be quite animated. I know. I know. But at the heart of me, I really like to chill. Like, I'm, I'm a chill person. But it's like when I get in the work of God, it's just a fire or something that comes on me. And I'm just, I just get real animated. I don't know how to sit here and stand dignified and say, turn your Bibles with me to the book of St. John. I, I don't have that. If you do, God bless your ministry. I don't have that. For me, I've been touched with the power of Pentecost. So when I hit this pulpit, that's a fire that shut up in my bones and I, I, I'll be wanting to run. And I... Because I have a zeal. I have a zeal. You telling me to worship and you not worshiping. You, t you telling me to serve and, and you not serving. You telling me to do this or that and you're not showing me by example. Baby girl, brother, man, you have to have a happiness to serve. An attitude that says, God, I'm grateful for this opportunity. Okay, that's too much. Let's just start with a smile. Science, medical, medicine says, takes more muscles and effort for you to frown than to smile. You talking about you tired, it's cause you don't smile. Laughter does the heart like medicine. It, it's, Laughter, you ever been through some stuff and had a bad day and walk into just full comedy and it's just like all the burden just walks away because you smile. Let's just start there. Somebody just smile at somebody. Smile, smile at your husband. I don't care what he did. Smile at your wife by faith. We are happy to serve. Somebody say happy to serve. We are hungry to serve. We're hungry to serve. In other words, we're not lazy. We're not trying to do the bare minimum to get away with making it work. I agree, simplicity can be great, and simplicity can be all you need sometimes. But are you giving God the bare minimum? But if you're giving on the bare minimum, it means you're not hungry. We are hungry to serve. We're not lazy. We're looking for opportunities. We're looking for opportunities. Going to leaders, hey, how can I help? How can I be a part? How can I do this? How can I do that? We are hungry for it. God, I am, I, I want you to have me, use me. We pray that. Have me, use me. I, I, I want to be a part of this last day revival. I don't want to sit and spectate and watch everything happen. No, I want to be a part of the altar call. I want to be a part. I, Hungry. When you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you'll be filled. You, you, you're not hungry enough. And we're hungry in this house. Hungry to serve. Hungry to serve. Well, I'm not getting away with the bare minimum. When you're hungry, how many of you ever been hungry? 
How many of you have been hangry? You get so hungry, you start getting mad. Hangry. And if somebody gives you a bag of chips when you hangry, you're going to throw them bag of chips back in their face. I don't want no chips. I want a steak, potatoes, vegetables, dessert, and a salad. I'm hangry. I want something bigger. I'm not going to sit here and just take whatever is there. No, I'm going to go find something that will fulfill me. And that's how it should be with our service. When you are hungry to serve, you're not sitting around trying to get the bare minimum. You're not sitting around trying to do the least it takes. You're saying, I want the big stuff. I want it all. I want to go for something great. So that... Hungry to serve. We are humbled to serve. We're humbled to serve. What does that mean? It means we see ourselves. I cannot tell y'all how hard it has been for me to shake the testimonies that we had last Sunday at our East Campus about Reach Week off of me. It has been so hard. I still hear our dear sister, Sister Pauletta, saying how God sent her back in the same streets that she was in bondage to, to serve. It says that she's humble to serve because she saw herself. And when you stop seeing yourself in those that you serve, you begin to get prideful. You think you're better, you're higher, and that you're, you're above all that. When, but by grace, there go you. But by grace, you can still be on the street begging. But by grace, you can still be in the streets prostituting. But by grace, you can still be doing God knows what. But by grace. And so when you think like that, you are humbled. You are humbled. You, when, when, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and it's trying to fill the temple. He didn't sit here and say, I deserve to be here. He said, whoa, for I have seen the Lord. He understood that this is a privilege and an honor Whoo, to serve in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I don't care if it's just handing out a tithing, a tithing envelope. I know that when I'm handing out this tithing envelope, I am a conduit to help the kingdom of God increase. You're not thinking big enough. Oh, I got to move. Humble to serve because I see myself. I see myself. I remember when I was one of the kids. I remember when I was a kid in our kids or in children's ministry and there was a teacher who seen something in me and preached to me the gospel and began to teach me and teach me and teach me and teach me how to act in church and teach me how to worship and teach me how to do this and teach me how to do that. I, I see myself in that little girl. I see myself in that kid. I see myself. And so when I come to minister to these kids, I see myself and I'm humbled. Because I know that what I say to this generation could change their whole life. See, 
I think we're not humble because we don't understand the, the value of what we carry. I was telling staff the other day, I came in, I, I, I say random stuff sometimes, and I came in and I said, it amazes me how much reverence has left the church. Reverence. And I'm not just talking about for God's people, his man or his woman. I'm talking about for God. We don't take care because we're not humbled. We don't understand the precious gift we have in being a part of such a ministry and having what we have. And so we treat it like it's nothing. Humble, do you know what's in your hand? We are happy to serve. We are hungry to serve. We are humble to serve. We are honored to serve. We're honored. Because God, you could have chose anybody else. We are honored to serve the same reason why we are humble to serve. Because you are God. You are the Lord Jesus Christ. You are most holy. It's an honor that I'm even standing in your presence. It's an honor that you allow me to come before you and say hallelujah. It's Oh God, bring reverence back to the church. Bring reverence back to the house. Bring reverence back to the house. You want your kids to respect you? You need to respect God. Somebody say, save to serve. We are happy to serve. We are hungry to serve. We are humbled to serve. We are honored to serve. Why? Because we're saved. Because we're saved. And we're saved to serve. I want to pivot a little bit here. Still understanding that we're saved to serve. But I, as I was digging this thing out, I began to see a distinction. Somebody say distinction. I understood something's different about servants versus those who are not. Servants see Jesus, our Christ, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. Savior, we all agree there. He rescued me. He saved me. He set me free. He delivered me. We all love a good hero story, right? We all love it. We'll watch our favorite movie, and then when someone comes to the rescue, we yell and scream, yes, yes, because we all are cool and okay with a good hero story. And really, we're cool and okay with Jesus being our Savior, dying on the cross, taking our sins, delivering us, saving us from hell. But sometimes we have a problem with the Lord part. Savior and Lord. Servants don't just see him as Savior. They see him as Lord. Servants who see him as Lord... Live a life that is submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord means ownership. Rule. Authority. 
And I know that's a concept that's a little bit frowned upon in this generation of this so-called independence. But the truth is, you're all servants to something. Nobody wants to be ruled, and nobody wants to be controlled, and nobody wants to be guided, and nobody wants to have authority over them. Nobody wants to be owned. <laughs> and we think it's just about people, but the truth is, if you get to the root of that, the Lord has trouble ruling you too. And it's because we don't understand who servants are. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Romans says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, under the mercies of God. In other words, it says, in light of the mercies of God, in light of everything that you've read and everything that you've seen, I beseech you, my brothers, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service, which is the least you can do. <laughs> and be not Conform to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good, pleasing, and acceptable will of God. Servants have taken their own will and submitted it to the will of the Father. Servants understand. Let, let me help you. Free will is true. Free will is God-given. God gave you your free will. That's why he says, I set before you today life and death. Choose. He tells you what to choose, but it's still up to you on what you choose. Free will. And so when you hear Lord and servant, a lot of people have a problem with that because they're like, well, that infringes upon my free will. But this is what God is looking for in a servant. It's someone who will say, yes, I have my free will, but I take my free will and I submit it back to the Father and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. Not just the clouds in the sky and the atmosphere in this earthen vessel and me as a submitted saint unto the Lord. I'll Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth. Not just on the earth. In earth. In me. In my mind. In my heart. In my time. In my finances. I'm a servant. Uh, ownership. Not just on earth, but in this earthen vessel. God, here's my will. Here's my will. The only reason why Jesus went to the cross is because of that very truth. He sat there in the garden of Gethsemane. He's crying and praying even to the point of blood, teardrops of blood. He didn't want to go to the cross. He knew it was going to be hard. He's seen the sin and the evil set before him. He knew he had free will even as the son of God. Yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Because before I left eternity, I came and I decided that my will doesn't matter. I want your will. The reason why some of us are so confused is because we don't want his will. We must live a life submitted to his will. And that's where the distinction shines even more. Somebody say servants. See the Lord. Everybody say servants. 
see the Lord as Savior and Lord. And when God finds those people who see him as servant or Savior and Lord, see him as Savior and Lord, God calls them his servant. This thing hit me like a ton of bricks when I was studying this. When God finds someone who sees him as Savior and Lord, he looks and says, that's my servant. It's one thing for us to stay on this shallow surface and see one another as serving together and all that great stuff. That's wonderful. That's good. It's one thing for me to see you as a servant. That's wonderful. That's great. It's one thing for Bishop to see it. It's wonderful. It's great. But it's another thing when God sees you and says, my servant. Did you know it's only about 15 people, characters, in the word of God that God from his mouth said, their name, my servant. <laughs> it's not everyone. It's not everyone. God sees them and says, such and such, my servant. This man, my servant. This woman, my servant. Today, what I need to hit home is that it's great to serve, but where we want to get to is where God identifies us as his servant. Tell somebody, say, I'm going up. I'm going up. Bishop reads it all the time, Malachi 3.18, so you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. There's a distinction. There's a mark where God has put a mark on certain people. Says, that one is my servant. Can we talk about him a bit? Can we talk about it a bit? Abraham. Abraham. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. Abraham. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant, Abraham's sake. Let me give you the context here. If you read the whole chapter, here you see Isaac, who was Abraham's son. Isaac became very wealthy, and people started hating. So if you're looking for the blessing, be ready for the haters. That was free. They got upset, and so they told him to go. And Isaac did it. He took his people, and he went, and he began to dig wells. Whoo! He began to dig wells in this valley and dig wells in this valley. And then the Philistines came against him and stopped up these wells. So he went to another place and dug wells and dug wells. And then one night, God appeared to Isaac. Whew. And he said to him, oh, Jesus, I am the God of your father, Abraham. 
Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. In other words, because of my servant, your father, I'm going to bless you. Why do I have to be saved to serve? Why is serving so important? Why do I want God to call me his servant? Because it's not just about me. It's about the seed that's coming after me. I want to encourage a mama or a daddy or a grandparent in here today. You're raising kids and you're a servant of the Lord. Don't worry about them. When you serve God, he will keep your kids for you. He's not doing it for them. He said for Abraham's sake. Oh. He said for Abraham's sake. My servant Abraham. Not my homeboy Abraham. Not my guy Abraham. No, my servant Abraham. For his sake, I'm going to keep Isaac. For, for his sake, I'm going to make sure Isaac prospers. I don't care how far your child has went away. I don't care how far. If you're a servant of the Lord and God looks at you, you and say, my servant. I'm going to keep your child for your sake. Abraham was long gone. Abraham was in eternity. Abraham was no longer there. And God remembered all the way back the service that Abraham had for him. And he said, I'm going to keep your child in this generation. You worried about your kids, you need to send your service after them. You need to send your service out. Father, oh my God. I remember when Bishop and I was dealing with some stuff with our daughter and we told the Lord, we said, God, we have served you too much. We have been in your house too much. Blood, sweat, and tears. Holy Spirit, get them. Not for them, but for me. Because I'm your servant. Whoo! The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. You need to send your service after him. You need to send your service after him. He said, my servant Abraham's sake. Your service is not just about you. It's about those who you've birthed. It's about your seed. What you do for God. God will remember not just for you, but for your seed. He appeared to Isaac and said, I got you. Not because of you, Isaac, but because of your father, my servant. Oh, God. He said, my servant, Abraham. Somebody say, Abraham. Abraham. Moses. Moses. Now, Moses was called my servant a lot. But I'm using the law first mentioned, meaning the first time we see it is in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. It says, not so with my servant Moses. (laughs) He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? When you're a servant of God, 
God will avenge you. God will give you backstage VIP access. You upset that your spiritual life is not where their spiritual life is. Check your service. Because Moses had a VIP backstage pass that nobody else had. My servant. He's, I, I got to read it again. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. Ooh. Even plainly. In other words, I don't have to talk in parable because me and Moses, we hear. <laughs> I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. He sees the form of the Lord. Ooh. You understand what he said? He sees him in his figure. Oh, Lord have mercy. This is so deep. So why were you not afraid to talk against my servant Moses? Let me give you the context. Here you got Miriam, Moses' brother, Aaron, the priest, Moses' brother, um, Moses' sister, Moses' brother, and they decide, let me talk to you for a minute, Aaron. They in the corner. Yeah, I don't know why he's doing it like this. I don't know why he's doing it like that. And da 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 And he's doing this and this, that, and the other. And they gossiping and they talking about the servant. And they think they're alone, but they were not alone. Because Moses was his servant. There was a Holy Spirit eavesdropping in the background that they didn't know nor feel because they were gossiping. And when you gossip, you're grieving the Holy Spirit so you don't feel his presence. I'm sorry. They're gossiping and they're talking and they're talking and then God calls them out. And it's Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And they're all together. And they, God didn't just call them out in the back. He didn't say, hey, y'all, don't be talking about Moses. He said, hey, let's come out here in front of Moses. In front of the children of Israel. See, the issue is this. You're sitting here getting upset about haters, but the truth of the matter is they in the back talking. If they were real about it, they come to your face and say what it is they need to say. God is a God who will face you. God is a God who will make you confront. God is a God who will stand right in your face and say, you said it. Calls them out. and says, Moses, my servant, is faithful. I talk with him face to face. He sees my form. I talk with him plainly. Why weren't you afraid to talk against? God will avenge his servants. God will avenge his servants. God will avenge his servants. Get that in your heart. God will avenge his servants. One of the most powerful messages Bishop Margaret came and preached about anywhere my name is written, the spirit of the Lord will eradicate. Anywhere my name is mentioned that the people are not for me, the spirit of the Lord will eradicate. What is she trying to get you to understand? I am a servant of the most high God. And because I am a servant, God, you will avenge me. So you need to stop getting upset. Stop. Look at somebody and say stop. No, tell them for real. Stop. 
When you're a servant, God will avenge you. Somebody say, save to serve. Caleb. <laughs> Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. It says, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Oh, Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost. Servants of the Lord have a different spirit. So not only will he take care of your seed if you're a servant, not only will he avenge you when you're a servant, a servant receives a different Spirit. There was something different about Caleb. Caleb was one of the ones who didn't come back with a bad report. Out of all the spies who went, only two came back with a good report. Came back with a report of faith. Came back with a report that said, hey, we can do this. Out of all the spies, only two, and Caleb was one. Because he had a different spirit. He had a different spirit. Servants of God have a different spirit. Servants of God are honored and humbled to serve. It's a privilege. They take a dignity in it. They, they, Caleb didn't come back like, woe is me. Caleb didn't come back like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Caleb came back with a good report, even though he was outnumbered, even though he was outmanned, even though the land was vast. He came back in faith. Why? Because he believed in the God that he served. And a different spirit upon a servant are men and women who get behind their man of God and say, we can do this. We can make an impact. We can do that. We can go into the highways and byways. I have a different spirit. I'm not going to miss 45 things that's wrong. I'm going to miss everything that my God can do exceedingly, abundantly above. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. He had a different spirit. Those who have a common spirit, mediocre, same, same. Those who say, I'm just saved so I can get to heaven like it's an insurance policy. You, you done met them. Them saints who say, I'm just trying to get to heaven. <laughs> That's a common spirit. But when you have a different spirit, it's a privilege, it's an honor. When it's a common spirit, it's bondage. It's defeat. It's control. It's inconvenience. See, no one wants to be inconvenienced anymore. When Bishop and I first moved to Kenya years ago, we first moved there. I'm going to tell on myself, is that okay? The thing that used to bother me was the fact that there was no drive-throughs. <laughs> I was bothered, saints. 
in my soul. Because we in a hurry. And you know, from America, you're trying to get somewhere and you're like, my kids is hungry, let me just swing through the drive through drop a number two, number three, number four. Throw it in the car, we out. But not so in the wonderful place of Nairobi, Kenya. There is one drive through that I know of. And is that the KFC? Yes, there's KFC in Kenya. I think one day I just need to have a culture night. Just help people understand the world is big and America is not the only place here. Okay. A KFC near the airport is the only drive-thru. And Bishop would laugh at me so much. And one day he called me out. He said, you're just looking for convenience. He said, you're looking for convenience. And I said, yes, because I don't like to be inconvenienced. I, don't, I, don't, I need to get here. So I need a drive-thru so these kids can eat real quick and we can keep going. But there you got to park. You got to get out and go inside the place. And they make it fresh. Right there. And they give you something piping hot. So when you give it to your kids, they ain't get four-day-old fries. <laughs> You'll catch a Tuesday. It was inconveniencing, but it benefited me in the long run. The reason why we don't serve is because we want everything conveniently. We want it. I need you to be here at 8 a.m. for sound check. That's inconveniencing. My alarm don't go off till 10. I need you to be here leading prayer at 1030. Uh, that's inconveniencing. My alarm don't go off till 1030. Because you don't see this as service. All you're looking for is convenience. All you're looking for is a drive-through anointing. But when you get sick in your body, are you looking for a drive-through anointing? All you're looking for is a quick fix, a sandwich, a two-piece. But when God wants to bless you mightily, you want him to move heaven and earth, to break out the good dishes, to take his time, to do it right, to do it. Uh, servants have a different spirit. And Caleb had a different spirit on him. It was a spirit of faith. It was a spirit of godly affirmation and support. It was a spirit that only God can give upon those who see him as Savior and Lord. Somebody say different spirit. David. David, 1 Kings 11.36. He's another one who God called my servant often. 1 Kings 11.36, it says, And to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lampstand before me in Jerusalem, in a city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. My servant David. When you're a servant, when you're God's servant, a legacy is left. Why are we learning about legacy on Wednesday night? Because these were servants of the Lord. And so therefore, a lampstand was left. I'll talk about myself. 
The man of God who raised me was Dr. Pastor James H. Davis. The man, we're going to learn about him on Wednesdays and others. But the man did exploits in the city. And I sat under him and I learned from him and I listened to him and I talked to him. And, and I, we were here. So much that a lot of people thought I was his real daughter. I'm not. <laughs> Let me clarify it. <laughs> Some of the young people was like, no, calm down. But that man of God taught me and he pulled out of me something that I didn't even know was there. Because what he understood was him as a servant of God, that there is a lamp, which is an anointing, that has to stay in this platform. Oh, I hear you, God. And so some of you don't understand why things happen the way they happen and why God passed mantles to who he passed it to. But God said, I remembered my servant James. And he poured into a young man and a young woman. And he passed that lamp, that anointing to them. And today we stand and that lamp is ever before the Lord. The anointing. I came to encourage somebody that's been here for a long time. The reason it couldn't be them and it had to be us is because the anointing, the lampstand couldn't go out. My servant James knew there was a man and a woman who said I'm going to do what my father said do open it up he told Bishop open it up open it up go into the world he told Bishop in his final days open it up go into the world we were right there by his bedside it's a lamp he un oh! it's a lamp my servant David may always have a lamp before me my servant James may always have a lamp before me. And I came to declare today in this house, the anointing that's in this pulpit flows to those who are connected to this pulpit. That you're a lamp and you're a lamp and you're a lamp and you're a lamp. If you stay connected, the, the anointing. God's servants leave legacy. God's servants leave legacy. I got to hurry up. I got to hurry up. God's servants leave legacy. God will take care of your seed when you're a servant. God will avenge his servants. Servants have a different spirit. God's servants leave legacy. Zerubbabel. Haggai chapter 223. Zerubbabel. Who? this one right here. In that day... Says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatil, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. First thing I need you to get, yes, Zerubbabel was his servant, but God mentioned his natural father here. Because what he wants us to understand is it doesn't care, it doesn't really matter as much as your, your, your natural bloodline as much as it does your spiritual bloodline. He said, says the Lord of hosts, I will take Zerubbabel, my servant. He mentioned his spiritual service. The son of Sheatil, who was his natural father. And he said that I will make him 
like a signet ring. I don't care where you come from, my brother, my sister. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. When you're a servant, there's a distinction. God, he thanks God for your, the avenue for, for you getting here. We give God praise for your, your, your dad and your mom. They got you here. So don't be frustrated if you don't come from the best family. You don't come from the most spiritual background. When you say, God, here's my will, I'm your servant, it makes the difference. Zerubbabel was a son of Shealtiel, but he was his God's servant. And what you have to understand here with Zerubbabel, this one got me, is that Zerubbabel was made like a signet ring. What is a signet ring? The king will wear a ring. And this ring, if we compare it like to the ring on my finger, this ring would represent authority. It was the king's edict, his decree. Anyone who wore it had the power of the king. Story that all of us know, Esther, wicked Haman. Haman was a hater. He was. He was mad at Mordecai. And because he was offended by Mordecai, he comes up with this great plan to destroy the Jews. But little did he know the queen was a Jew. Who? And so here, Haman goes to the king and he says this whole story about how the Jews are plotting this and plotting that. And surely we need to eradicate everybody. This is how crazy the devil is. He don't just come after you. He coming after your whole line. This is why you got to be a servant. Haman came and he said the Jews are doing this. He didn't say it was just Mordecai. He said the Jews. And the king being the king, God bless the king. The king being the king, he gets upset and he says, do what you plan to do. And he removes his ring off his finger, hands it to the enemy. And now the enemy has the same power as the king. And he can go. And do what he wants. He, he built the big entire hanging station. And he was ready to hang and kill all of the Jews. Because he had the authority. He had the favor. But Zerubbabel, my servant, I will make like a signet ring. When you're a servant of God, you will walk into places and favor would oh, he didn't say he'll put on the signet ring. He said he will make Zerubbabel the signet ring. I feel like this is a lot. He said he will make Zerubbabel like the signet ring. In other words, when you walk, you yourself, your person, enter a situation, enter a room, the favor of God will follow you, will overtake you, will overshadow you that makes every crooked place straight. You are walking there with such an authority. You are walking there like you're supposed to be in this room. You are walking there and sit at that table like this chair was reserved for me. No more head down. No more acting like I don't deserve it. No more acting disqualified.
qualify? Why did he have to point out that Chantel was his father? Because he had to help him understand and help us understand that when the favor of God is on you, it doesn't matter where you come from, baby. I don't know if y'all getting it. Zerubbabel, I will make like a signatory. When you're a servant, you are favored. You are, you, you, you are favored. Serving is the language of the Savior. Serving is the language of the Savior. God speaks it fluently. Because when you serve God, he'll begin to serve you. When you serve God, he'll begin to serve you. Makes him like a signet ring. You walk into places, some of you don't need money, you need favor. Some of you don't need money, you need favor. Some of you don't need better credit. They'll work on your credit, but you need favor. You need favor. You need favor. You need the signet ring, the hand of God that come, to come upon you and put you in places and put you in conversations, oh God, that you didn't even know you were qualified for because there's favor on you. There's favor on you. You're a signet ring because you're my servant. My servant, Job, and I'm closing. Job, Job chapter 1, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? And there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Something to note about Job. Servants live holy. 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 Yes, we still teach holiness. <laughs> holiness without which no man shall see God. Job, you read a story. It talks about everything he would do every day. Not once or twice. Every day to keep God at the center and the forefront. And when Satan came, God said, have you considered my servant Job? And the enemy said, I know about Job. And of course he does all of this because your hand is with him and you're, you're keeping him. But God said, he's my servant. And even if I allow him to suffer, because servants suffer. Oh, now it's quiet. I was with you to clean the bathroom pack. I was with you to go work with the kids pack, but now you're talking about suffering. 
I was with you to be in media, but now you're talking about suffering. What you mean? Let me throw my sanctified hand up. Because you know this finger makes you invisible when you put it up and walk out. Can't nobody see you know what you did to <laughs> Suffering. Servants suffer. Servants suffer. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. Holy. Servants are holy. He lived a life of holiness. He fears God and shuns evil. He lived a life of holiness. But when you read the story, the devil came for God and tried to say, yeah, but if you take your hand off of him and remove that hedge, I bet he'll curse you. And God said, <laughs> there's a different spirit on Job. He's my servant. And Job, when he lost everything, everything, suffered, sick in his body, all his kids are dead, all his money is gone. You think you're suffering? Suffered, suffered, probably had sleepless nights, probably couldn't even have any more tears in his eyes because he cried so much from the loss he suffered. His servant, at the end of it all, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. A servant will suffer and still give God praise. A servant will suffer and still have faith. A, ser a servant will turn their suffering into sacrifice. When you're a servant of God, come hell or high water, you will stand at the end of your life and say, I know my Redeemer lives. And when you stand and make your line in the sand, every enemy in hell has to back up. Because when you take that stand, God begins to take the stand with you and say, enough is enough. Say in the Lord rebuke you. Say in the Lord rebuke you. You can't come anymore. You can't come any. I know you've been down through there. I know you're going through some struggle. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. But when you're my servant, you will be able to stand at the end of it all and say, I know my Redeemer lives. I, I, I know. Why? Because I'm a servant of God. And the God who kept me for all them years. And the God who kept me through all everything that I was doing right. He kept me when I was right. He kept me in the same God who allowed this trial. Though he slayed me, yet will I trust him. The same God. The same God. The same God who allowed the struggle. It's the same God that I know is alive. It's the same God that I know is a provider. It's the same God that I know. Not I guess. Not I think I, I, I. I know I know my redeemer lives and I know it's a suffering but I'd rather be a suffering servant Whew. I'd rather be a suffering servant than a prospering fool no sir no sir I hear that Holy Spirit 
We think our trials is an indication that God is not with us. But sometimes that's even more evidence. Everything being great doesn't mean God is with you. And everything being horrible doesn't mean that God is not with you. When you're a servant, you live in holiness. And yeah, you'll suffer. But there is a Noah on the inside of you. Down in my Noah. Well, what, is the, what is the moral of this? I'm done. Close your Bibles. Well, what is the moral of what I'm trying to get you to get today? You want God to call you servant. God has chosen you for a specific purpose in a specific way at an appointed time. Saved to serve. I, I, I thank God that you see what I do and we see what you do and I thank God for what you, what you do. <laughs> but I need us to get this to hit home because if you keep seeing it shallow, you will never go into the deep things of God. If you begin to get the understanding that I want God to say, Ashley, my servant. John, my servant. Bill, my servant. Jackie, my servant. Put your name there, whatever your name, my servant. My servant. I'm saved to serve. I'm saved to serve. And I get saved. Let's start there. You, you got to get saved. Again, your service can't be before salvation. Anything you did in the name of God before you received Jesus Christ was filthy rags. Because you, you, you can't get to heaven with a good resume. This is not experience in that way. This is only through Jesus Christ. And once you come through Jesus Christ and you enter into salvation, now you serve because you are saved. The first step is get saved. And then once you've entered in, now we serve. So if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we got to start there. And I mean truly know him as your Lord and Savior. Again, servants see him in both ways. They don't say, save me, but you can't have me. We're going to take care of that. But there's also people in this place who have entered in and they've stayed so surface with this thing. That we think serving is just, oh, I ain't do much. I just set up some chairs in a parking lot service. But the chair you set up was a, a, a drug addict who came in off the street and sat in that chair and heard the gospel and gave them life, their life to Jesus. Oh, I didn't do much. I just, I just 
I just sit in the back and I run cameras. But when you turned on that camera, thousands of people could hear the gospel. And some mother who was battling with something in their, their family received the gospel and received hope because you decided that I'm going to see him as Savior and Lord. Huh. I need y'all to catch this. We become too comfortable. Too comfortable. I want God to look at me and say, Ashley, my servant. Even take it this far. God, if, if, if you want to, or if you think so, when the enemy comes and thinks he wants to try somebody, that you'll even think of me and say, Have you considered my servant Ashley? <laughs> That's crazy. The apostles found it a privilege to suffer for Christ. Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I do not deserve to die like Jesus died. He said, crucify me upside down. Don't put me right side up. Peter was crucified. The martyrs of old said, it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus. Lord have mercy. Brace for impact. God is looking for those who will come out and say, I'm saved to serve and father if you're looking for somebody if you're looking for anybody like the prophet of old said send me I'll go send me I'll go Ashley my servant search your heart search your heart ask the spirit of the Lord to show you now has your service become stale has your service become stale? You're seeing it as anything but a privilege and an honor. You've lost your hunger to serve. You've lost your happiness to serve. You've lost your humility to serve. You've lost your honor to serve. What if God took your voice? I remember the testimony of my, my pastor, our apostle, Dr. Parsley, when the devil struck him with vocal cord cancer. And he couldn't talk for two years. He walked around with a dry erase board, communicating to people because he couldn't talk because of the cancer on his voice. And he walked around with that dry erase board and just giving messages. I need water. I need this, I need that. Having conversations. And when God bought him out of that, and supernaturally healed his body supernaturally took that cancer away healed that man of God one of the best things he says I love it every time he says it he says I'm shouting just because I can so don't get offended if I'm making so much noise because he understood that there was a time I was just riding by a board and I couldn't lift up a hallelujah. I couldn't lift up a thank you, Jesus. What if God took your voice? What if God took your gift? Would you sit here and hold it back anymore? Would you say, God, make me a servant? What if God took it? What if he allowed it to go? 
We don't think like that anymore. That's why we don't take this thing for real. We take it for granted, saints. I want you to hear my heart this morning. I love that I can see all of you. And we can do what we do and we can applaud one another. But at the end of our lives, we want God to say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want you to let someone else enjoy it. Go share, comment, leave a review, get the word out. Let's spread more encouragement in the world. Connect with me on all social platforms. You can find links to all my pages on ashleykariuki.com. Hope you will listen again very soon. God bless. God bless.